0: Uh, this morning, I want to uh, start off, we're in the book of James again, but I want to start off with a little bit of a story. Um, it was It's a story from my past in which I felt like I experienced one of those moments where religion or faith expresses itself in the purest form. Have you ever had one of those moments where it feels like in this divine moment, you are sensing that this is truly what it means to live out the life that Jesus intended for you to live. Maybe that that faith has so grounded itself in your life that the Gospel is so permeated who you are that the very things you say, the very things you do result in these moments that you just can point at and go, this moment is a crystal clear picture of really what it means to follow Jesus. I remember I had one of those moments that stands out so vividly to me, and it happened in college. I was out of Bible college. I was studying uh, Bible and theology, and like any good Bible and theology major, you spend a lot of time studying and reading and learning. But I was also really committed to trying to live out my faith in a tangible way and so I was involved in student government I was involved in a local youth ministry and kind of investing in teens and I was I was trying to check off all the boxes and get engaged in all the things that I thought would prepare me for what it is God had for me not only in the present but even more so in the future but during that time I started being confronted with the scriptures that God was kind of working on my heart in one particular area, and that is God's care for the vulnerable, for the overlooked. So I started reading things in God's Word that were very clear that God has a soft spot for the poor. And If you go through the book of Luke, you see that over and over and over again, that, that He tends to incline His ear to the people that are being oppressed the people that are being marginalized, that he somehow bends down and stoops a little bit closer to the people that find themselves on the fringes, or find themselves in a vulnerable state. And what I was starting to realize as I kept being confronted with that over and over is this reality that my life and my heart were not mirroring the heart of God that he has this compassion and this care for this group of vulnerable people in whatever context they're in. And yet, I looked at my life and I started to ask myself the question, who are those people in your life? Russ, if you, if you were to look at the people you're investing in, if you were to look at the things you're doing, could you honestly and legitimately point at how your life intersects with those people? And I had to come to the, the reality that I couldn't. I couldn't point to individuals. I couldn't point to how I was investing in this group of people that God seemed to have a pre- preferential favor for. And so my uh, junior year, this is my junior year now, I decided <clears throat> to spend every Thursday night, I found this ministry where every Thursday night I could go and spend two hours with the mentally ill in a state hospital. So the college I was a part of was just outside, or right near Scranton, Pennsylvania, and just outside of Scranton was this area in which you could go to the state hospital and uh, just spend time in uh, investing in the lives of people that are in that facility. And so with this small group of college students, every Thursday night for a year, we would drive out in a van and we would uh, pull up to the state hospital they would check us in and then we would go um, and I would spend the evening in Ward 6 and I would go in every, every Thursday night to Ward 6 and we had two hours where uh, just a bulk of the time was spent building relationships so I would <clears throat> interact with these men of all varying ages and uh, we would just do fun stuff I mean uh, we played checkers together which is pretty fabulous, if you think about it. Um, it, We would do ping pong, which pretty much consisted of me doing the best I could to try to hit it so that it would hit their paddle. Otherwise, I'd run to the other side, pick it up, and try it again. And we we would just have these moments where we're laughing, enjoying each other. Uh, I remember playing the piano one time with a guy. And neither he nor I knew how to play the piano. I mean, it was the most ridiculous sound. It was loud. It was it was crazy, but it was so fun. I remember one time just sitting for about two hours and just listening on a couch and kind of talking back and forth with this one guy. And I don't remember where the conversations went and I don't totally remember what we talked about, but I just remember listening and kind of diving into their world for a couple hours and and trying to to love and to care, and there was this one particular night where we showed up, and uh, before, when, as soon as we got there, they said, "Hey, you can't go into Ward Six tonight because Ward Six is actually going to be going to open gym night." I didn't even know they had open gym nights. I didn't even know they had a gym, and uh, but that being a college student, I'm like, "This is awesome!" Like I had to get to come and not just hang out, but we get to like shoot hoops, play football, do whatever in an open gym, and so. Um, they sent us down to the gym first, and then they were going to bring all of the, uh, the patients down uh, from Ward 6 to be able to play games with us. And so <clears throat> I'm kind of tossing a football and shooting some hoops with friends from college, and then all of these uh, guys come in. And it's time to play games and just have fun and enjoy one another. And I, I had an, a basketball in my hand at that moment, and this guy named Bill just comes in for me. And so I'm like, "Hey, do you want to play basketball?" and he's really excited about the opportunity. And so I hand him the basketball and for the next 30 minutes, I'm his automatic rebounder. And so he would chuck up a shot that I mean would just bounce numerous places and I'd go chase it down, bring it back, hand it to him, "Great shot. Let's do it again." And he would just keep shooting. And he had this incredible smile on his face, he's laughing and and uh, he would always come and want to be right really close to me and so we'd stand next to each other and he would shoot and then I'd go get it again and um, over this 30 minutes we were just it just seemed like one of those moments where you've connected and so then uh, some of the individuals that work there came in and said "All right, everyone from Ward 6 we need to leave and we're going back to to the ward and so they called everybody and Bill Starts to like make his way to the nurses and the doctors, and then he turns around, and he he just kind of jogs towards me, and just throws his arms around me in one of those just so cool moments, and and he gives me this huge hug, and then right at the point where I'm content with being done with the hug. Um, <laughs> I, I start to kind of like step back and then Bill goes in for round two. But but Bill, I, I didn't realize this. Bill didn't want to just hug, he wanted a kiss. And so Bill comes in for this for this kiss and he plants one right on my cheek. And before that kiss, I didn't know Bill had dentures. After that kiss, I knew because I could feel him move. And I mean, I had never been a part of a a sloppier, wetter kiss than in that moment. And I just am kind of standing there like, what just happened? And he makes his way off. Everyone else leaves. And like, I then look around, and all my college buddies are looking at me, and they're like, yeah, that's. That's good, you know? And, and I'm just going, oh my word. I get, I get home that night, and I'm laying in bed, and I'm just kind of recapping the evening, and I'm going, what happened? How did that happen? And, what? and it was as if in that moment God said to me, he kind of brought this verse back to my mind that was Matthew chapter 25. that says that whatever you do for one of the least of these, it's as if you've done it to me. That the way you care for the vulnerable, the neglected, the overlooked, it is, it's as if it's me that you're caring for. And so then I, it, it helped me to think that I had been kissed by Jesus that night. That, that in some kind of mysterious, miraculous way, that God, if that was Jesus that I was loving and caring for, it was so cool to think that at that moment, God understood this expression between two people. Have you ever had one of those moments where faith just seems to shine the brightest, that religion just, faith just looks its purest? Have you ever been kissed by Jesus? I mean, that's what the book of James is chasing after in this morning. So if you have your Bible, turn to James chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. And James 1 26 and 27 go after this idea of <clears throat> pure faith or pure religion. And it says this if anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. A religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. What James does in this passage is he gives us three points. Two of them are negative, and one of them is positive. And the first negative statement he makes is that if you can't keep a tight rein on your tongue, and yet you think you're religious, yet you think you have a genuine faith, you're deceiving yourself. Now, the, the point he's getting at here is that Followers of Jesus should have a tight control Over their words I also think he's getting at the idea that We're supposed to have a heart That loves the things or chases after the things that God does That's why it says that over the, Out of the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks Now James comes back to this idea in chapter 3 And he dedicates the first like 12 verses to it And so we're not going to cover it today We're going to look at it later in our series. The second negative idea is the one at the very end of the verses that says to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So it's a a negative in the sense that you should not be someone who's being polluted or stained. Really the idea that he's getting at is that our lives should have a distinctiveness that sets us apart in some unique way from those around us. Again, he dedicates a big chunk of chapter four to this idea and so we will cover it in chapter four. So the two negatives we'll cover at another time. The positive is what we're gonna look at today. The positive statement he makes right in the middle of these verses and the one that he kind of uh, spends a little bit more time on than the other brief statements is that pure and undefiled religion is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. It's a positive statement. He's saying that if you want a picture of what true faith looks like, it looks like care for the neglected. It looks like a heart for the poor. It looks like finding ways to care for the disadvantaged and the vulnerable. I mean, that's what he's getting at in this particular passage. And and really, the, the orphans and the widows are just representative of this whole group of people that would be classified as vulnerable. Now for a lot of us it's hard for us to kind of place ourselves in a position of what is it truly like to be vulnerable. I mean we avoid it at all costs in our society as much as we can. We try to never find ourselves in a vulnerable position. We try to never be someone that doesn't have the power and so it probably is difficult for some of us to even be able to grasp that concept or to put ourselves in someone else's shoes of what it truly looks like to be vulnerable and so uh, this morning we have a guest with us who is someone that found herself in a pretty vulnerable situation and so Kevin if you can bring the mic that'd be great Kevin's gonna bring the mic and I want to introduce you to Yupa Yupa is from Thailand And uh, she's going to take about three minutes, you can come down, and she's just gonna share with us what it was like to grow up in a leper colony. She grew up, her parents uh, had leprosy, and she grew up in a leper colony. And she'll take a couple minutes to share, and there'll be some pictures that scroll in the background.
1: Good morning, everybody. I hope that uh, by my poor English that you will find to understand my heart what I will sharing for you this morning. A little girl, she have, uh, she happy to be, uh, to live with the big family, and be around with her friend at school. But everything stopped when she know that she have leprosy. The community say, "No, you cannot live with us." And school teacher say, "No, you cannot go to school." What she can do? Her family sent her to uh, she to, for her healing. Twelve years old, she have left her, her family and lived by herself. Her body has lost because of leprosy. More than thirty years, she never see her family. She lived live by herself. How difficult not only by Bo- her body that ha- she have lost, her emotion, spiritual. But one day she have hope, joy, when she know Jesus Christ, and have a big family at church, be around them as the, uh, her family. God here healing her heart and bring her mother come to see her after f- more than thirty years. I remember very well but with their tear a lot of tear. God gave her a nice guy that she married. He had the same experience. Leprosy and God gave her three children, two boys, and one girl. And I am the girl that she has. God is so good for us. People around me, they have lost their family for a long time. How hurt that they have in their life, every day I see. But do you know, only God that give her their hope and they can stand by themselves. Yeah, because of God meditate himself for us, a lot of people know hope, hopeless. They don't know where is my family. They don't know how I live here for, to be a true friend, this is our goal for Beulah Land Services organization that I work with. We just want to be a true f- friend as Jesus do for us. And a lot of people need love, hope, as we ha- already have. This morning, I want to ask you to be a true f- friend for that people They lost their hope. Only our God, Jesus, will help them to be enjoy their life and happy. Thank you very much.
0: That's just a small little picture of what it looks like to live in a situation in which you find yourself vulnerable ostracized from society, sent away, excluded, no longer able to go to school, living in that kind of situation. And for us, that that seems pretty distant. It seems other side of the world at times, right? So my question to you is this. I'm convinced that vulnerable, neglected, overlooked people exist right here in our city, in your neighborhood. All around us. Many times we just walk by or miss the very people that God intends for us to see, the very people that she's talking about. And so here's what I want you to do. I'm going to give you about 30 seconds, 45 seconds to do it. Talk with a neighbor, someone next to you, and come up with a list of three, four, five different groups of people or individuals uh, not by name, but groups of people that, that would be in our city that would be overlooked, that are neglected, that are part of this vulnerable, all right? Give you about 30 seconds to do it, and then uh, we'll talk some answers. Go. All right, let's talk about it. Who are some of those people? Who, are, who would be categorized in this uh, idea of being vulnerable or overlooked or neglected? Okay, immigrants, good. Drug addicts, excellent. Mentally ill. ill. Who else? Elderly, good. Homeless kids. Yeah, homeless of any kind. Children. Often children, absolutely. Others. The prison population, that's great, It's a great example. Teen moms, any others stand out to you? Unemployed, the bus stop, good. The disabled, Mm mm-hmm, absolutely. Good, I mean this is a great list. If you begin to think about it, the list is quite longer than maybe we initially think. We kind of just go, oh, yeah, well, that, I mean, it's orphans and widows, we get the idea, yeah. But, I mean, the list is pretty extensive. The people that get overlooked or ignored. What's interesting to me about this particular verse, uh, talking about this idea of pure and undefiled religion is to look after orphans and widows in their distress. The, the interesting thing about it is it's pretty profound in two particular ways and it demands a couple things of us first one it demands is personal responsibility personal responsibility now do you notice that in the entire two verses that the pronouns that are used are all singular so if anyone considers himself religious and does not keep a tight rein on his tongue he deceives himself and his religion is worthless later on it says Um, to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. It's talking about me. It's talking about you. It's not talking about us corporately. It's talking about us individually. So the point is that our faith requires personal responsibility. Our engagement with this particular text, we can't go, oh, we as a group are doing something about it. We have to say, what are we doing? individually, personally, doing about it. I mean, what James is getting at is that you cannot have this type of faith by proxy. You can't, you can't have the ability to do something about it and then yet not really do anything about it and call it good. This is essentially what he's saying. That if, if it, that if religion, if your faith, if your relationship with God does not in somehow drive you toward a greater love for the vulnerable and the neglected then we're missing the point is what James is saying that maybe we don't quite have the heartbeat of God I think he's also saying that you can't count corporate responsibility and take credit for it as individual responsibility so you can't, you can't say something like this I go to a new community And new community supports and and, uh, and started Global Neighborhood. And Global Neighborhood cares for the foreigner in our city. Therefore, I care for the foreigner. You can't. I mean, we can't do that with any of these groups of populations or these individuals that we've thrown out in that list. We can't do that. We can't say, "Oh, well, if I give money to this cause, that that is my obligation or my responsibility it's a personal responsibility here's here's the second thing that this passage speaks to the idea of intersection intersection and here's what i mean by that the passage says to look after or in other translations it says to visit orphans and widows in their distress here's what that means it literally means to inspect to visit for the purpose of comfort and relief. That's what it means. It doesn't merely mean to go see. To visit orphans and widows is not just to, like, go see them. The point it's making is this. It implies a commitment to fully meet the needs of those to whom you are ministering. It it implies an intersection of life that your life touches the life of someone else that's that we're describing or talking about this morning there's a quote by i think his name's william vincent he makes this statement it'll be on the screen james strikes a downright blow here at ministry by proxy or by mere gifts of money pure and undefiled religion demands personal contact with the world's sorrow to visit the afflicted, and to visit them in their affliction. And as missional people, what this is, is a call to live compassionately. It's a call to care, a call to love. In our vision statement, we talk about what it means to to love, we want to love Jesus with all of our heart, we want to love people unconditionally, we want to Do those things. But the last statement it says is we want to boldly live out the gospel. We want to boldly live it out and extend the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ. You know one way that's crystal clear on how we do that? It's this it's to care, it's to love, it's to have your life intersect with the life of someone who's overlooked and vulnerable. So I think when you look at this text, at least when I look at the text, what it makes me ask is this question. What does it mean for me? What does it mean for me? I mean, it's a question I asked myself in college. It's really a question I haven't stopped asking myself. What does it mean for me? What does it mean for you? If we're called to a personal responsibility in this area, and we're called to have our lives intersect with the life of someone else, what does it mean? Let me give you a couple examples. So instead of just spelling it out, I'll give you a couple pictures of what it might look like. There's a lady in our small group. I won't give you her name, but she is a teacher at Finch Elementary. And this last year, she had a little boy in her class named Quentin. Quentin was bouncing around from home to home, he was bouncing around from, like, grandparents to then mom and then back to dad. And grades were not good. Uh, the situation wasn't good. He found himself ex- expressing um, himself towards other kids in pretty violent ways. And she just began to say, I'm, I'm going to love you. So you're going to come over after school before you get picked up, and you're going to play with my kids. Then we're going to have dinner with you. And once a week, on Wednesday nights, you're going to have dinner at our house. And you're going to know what it's like to sit with a family at dinner. And I'm going to care for you, and I'm going to take you to events, and I'm going to just show you what it means to really be loved. As it would happen, God decided to put Quentin in her class again this year. I think that's pretty ironic. And he decided to, to give her another opportunity to do it. And so now, because she can't have him over to her house because he has to get picked up and there's this whole other situation, she's decided that once a week at lunch, he gets a special date just with her in the classroom that's what it means to look after orphans and widows in their distress. Another example, I just saw the Tesserix over here, it's saying, you know what, we're going to take Pearl into our home. She's a foster kid and, and we're just going to love on her. And if that means we never get to call her our own child, which they are desperately praying for and which we are praying for too, but we're just going to just going to love her. We're going to pour our life into her life. We're going to have our life intersect with her life, and and we're going to do this for the gospel, and we're going to do it, and and regardless of what happens, it's a picture of true faith. For Shannon and I, it meant a little over a year ago, having this little girl come into our life. This is uh, Everson. She just celebrated her one-year-old birthday on Wednesday. That's right. It's so awesome. And um, we have just had the distinct privilege of knowing and loving and spending time with her and caring for her. And um, the other day, my wife told me this. I got home from work, and she said that, um, there was a moment where Jack was leaving the house and he was like getting picked up and she walked out with him and uh, Evie was standing at the door and then you could see her through the door as a glass door and she just kind of like waved at Jack on his way out and Jack says to Shannon, Mom we got the right sister didn't we and man I'm telling you what I heard that story and I just I wanted to cry because it's my dream is that our kids would, would grow up and go, you know what? We're, we're going to invest. We're going to intertwine our life with these people. We're going to care and we're going to love. And we're, man, man what, what an opportunity. So, what, is it, what does it look like for you? I mean, obviously, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're having lunch dates with kids at school or that you're inviting kids to live in your home or you're adopting. So it doesn't, it doesn't mean the same thing for all of us. But it does mean something for you. And it could mean that you invest in global neighborhood and connect yourself to the refugee community and begin to love on the foreigner in our midst in a personal way. It could mean that you jump in and volunteer at Christ Clinic. I was just talking to Debbie, there, who works there, just two days ago. And this week, for Debbie, what it means, pure religion means for her, is being having her phone on her pillow next to her bed so that a drug-dependent single mom can call her at night and say, I need you to talk me out of taking more pills. That's what it means for her. Or maybe it means going to West Central or to Hilliard and investing with Youth for Christ. And just... Adopting a kid there that you hang out with once a week after school. Tutoring, taking care of, having a meal with while you're there. I mean, the list could go on and on. A cup of cool water, blue button. It could mean joining Kendra, uh, one of our missionaries in Thailand. It could mean going out right after the service and meeting Yupa and talking about, hey, how do I invest in the ministry that you're a part of? It could mean the neighbor right down the street. Do you you know your neighbor? I mean, that, that could be the best place to start. I mean, the list could go on and on. But the question I think we have to ask ourselves is, if this is the heart of Jesus, how does our heart intertwine with his heart? And how do we live our lives in such a way that we become the body of Christ to all the people, especially the overlooked? Here's what I want us to do to close our time before we sing one last song. We're going to put a prayer up on the uh, screen, and I just want us to read it together. So if you would, stand with me, and uh, we will read this prayer in closing. And as you read the prayer, I'm just asking God, I've been asking Him, and I'll continue to ask Him in the midst of the prayer, for, for Him to place on your heart or in your mind Um, a picture of the person that you're supposed to minister to. Or that he would uh, give you an idea of what way you can begin to express this very picture of true religion. All right? Let's read this prayer together.